surrender. Oh yeah, give it up. Everything, all of me. That's why they don't have me singing up there. And the reason we sing that, man, I just hear that song and I'm like, why is it that we would like all of us would surrender and we would surrender? Can we get all the lights up? Can't even see, see anybody. Where's everybody? Lights, please. And, uh, and so we sing those, we say, hey, what's up, how y'all doing? And the reason we sing that, we sing, all to you, I surrender everything, all of me. And some of you are like, man, what, that is stupid. Like, what are you talking about? Like, all of me, I surrender. Like, I'm not surrendering to anything. Like, this is, you know, raise your hand, sing, and that stuff's corny, all that kind of stuff. And, and the reason, here's the reason, the reason that we do that, the reason that we say that, the reason that we sing that is because we are passionate about what I'm going to talk about tonight. And that thing that we're passionate about is this. Is last week where we left off was is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. But let me tell you something. He did not just die on the cross for our sins, but he was buried and he rose again on the third day. Jesus is risen. And that is why we sing, all to you I surrender. All to you, everything, all of me. Because I'm here to tell you, and you're going to see through the night tonight, that if that didn't happen, none of this would matter. And tonight I'm going to walk to you guys some evidence of the resurrection. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, man, I don't believe in this God thing. I'm not really sure about this whole thing. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about tonight. Let me tell you something. If you're sitting beside somebody right now that's going to distract you and confuse you from learning some good stuff, tonight we're going to talk about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And let me tell you, it is heavy. In fact, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most undeniable fact in all of history. And I will show you here in a moment. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you know anything about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is the resurrection chapter of the Bible. And the reason we're going there, the reason we're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is because the first week in our Ascend series, we talked about grace. And we talked about the fact that it is by grace that we are saved. It is God pursuing us, God chasing us. Grace meaning receiving something that you do not deserve. Because you are a sinful man, you do not deserve the grace of God. You do not deserve the gift of God. And the Bible tells us that, that, that God gave his son for us. He gave him. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is grace. Here's the miracle. The miracle is, is that God would even choose to save one person because none of us deserve it. And I don't have to convince you of that. Every person in this room has lied before. Every person in this room has stolen something before. Every person in this room has hated someone before. Every person in this room has lusted before. Every person in this room has broke the command of God, has transgressed against God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin or the punishment of sin is death. And if it wasn't for the grace of God saying that I love you, I pursue you, even though you've rejected me, even though you've run from me, even though you've done that, I have come to rescue you by, listen, sending my son Jesus Christ to the cross. And the Bible tells us that it is by grace through faith. That God moves towards us through grace, but we respond to him in faith. Faith meaning believing and trusting, saying, God, I believe in you, I trust in you, I put my everything in you. All to you I surrender, everything, all of me, that is faith. And then last week we talked about the fact that salvation comes at a price. 
that a sacrifice had to be made. And throughout the Old Testament, they would take animals and they would, they would have to go and put their hands on the heads of the animals and they would, they, would, they would call out their sins and confess them on the animal. And then they would have to slit the animal's throat because blood sacrifice had to be made for sin. And Jesus came and walked on the face of this earth. He lived and was tempted in every single way that we were tempted, yet the Bible says without sin. And he became the spotless, sinless sacrifice, the lamb that was slain for all of us. We'll walk through some of that in a minute, and today we get to the resurrection. I just want to talk to you guys about this, especially as we're heading down the road to Easter and we're celebrating and all this stuff, and this is, this is the stuff right here. What we're going to talk about today has led more people to Jesus than any other thing in all of history. Verse 1, Paul's talking here. <clears throat> he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about him later. Remember that name. He says this, Now, brothers... I want to clarify to you the gospel I could proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. So he's talking about this gospel. Gospel means good news. What is this good news? He goes on, he says, you also are saved by it. Well, if we're saved by it, then we definitely need to know what it is. And if you hold to this message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose, look what he says. For I pass on to you this as the most important. He says, of first importance, this is the most important thing. Make sure that you get this. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That we talked about last week. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Listen. Then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Then to the twelve, the disciples. Then, listen, he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. He appeared to over 500 other people. So there wasn't just a few people that saw Jesus raised from the dead. In fact, when you read the story and you read about the Bible and you read Jesus for 40 days, appeared over a 40-day period to all these people that saw him, eyewitness testimony that Jesus was raised from the dead. He appeared to over 500 people. And then look what he says. He says, he's like, if you don't believe me, look, most of them remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, when he's writing this, he says, hey, some of those people that have get prayed and are, that, that saw Jesus, they've died, they've already passed away, but many of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe that Jesus raised from the dead, listen, you can go ask those people, and they'll tell you. And then look what he says. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles. Last of all, as one of abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Because Paul was not an original disciple. In fact, Paul was going around killing Christians. We're going to talk about that later. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. And he walks to this. And then look what he says in verse, uh, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, listen, is without foundation and it is without faith. And if you keep reading on through chapter 15, he says, listen, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, we as Christians are to be most pitied. If Jesus died on the cross and he did not raise from the dead, listen to me, hear me now, Christianity ended at the death of Jesus. There is no Christianity. There is no salvation. Jesus was just a man who died and people thought he was a great teacher. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, this is pointless and worth it. And there's no reason for us to surrender to anything. No reason. 
You say, well, people don't raise from the dead. If the supernatural does not exist, then you're right. People do not raise from the dead. But if God exists, then the supernatural exists. And if God exists, then yes, God can do whatever he wants to do because God lives outside of space and time. God lives outside of our finite thinking. God lives outside of that because he is God. And supernatural things can happen. I'll read you a quote by this guy, Michael Green. He says this. Without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. The church would have never begun. The Jesus movement would have fizzled out like a damp squib with his execution. Christianity stands and falls with the truth of the resurrection. I'm here to tell you today, if someone came to me and they proved the resurrection wrong, I'm no longer a Christian. Period. And you should no longer be a Christian either. You say, Derek, then why are you so confident? Josephus, a first century historian, this guy was a Roman historian during the first century. Jesus lived and died during the first century. All the disciples of Jesus lived and died during the first century. And this is what we know about Josephus. Josephus was a Roman historian. He was not a Christian. He was not a Jew. He had, he had, he had no interest in anything of Christianity. In fact, the Romans hated Christians, and this is why. Because during this time, the emperor demanded worship. The emperor called himself the king of kings. The emperor called himself God. And in the Bible, the Bible tells us Jesus is the king of kings. We worship God alone, the one true God. We worship Jesus alone. That's who we worship. And so the emperor would be upset about this. And so they issued decrees. Listen, in the first 300 years of Christianity, listen, 3 million people were killed for believing in Jesus. 3 million. Three million people in the first 300 years of Christianity from the time that Jesus died until 325 A.D. Jesus died around 30 A.D. Between that time frame, three million people were killed because they believed that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And listen, all they had to do to save them their own lives was to say, we don't believe. In fact, during the Emperor Trajan's uh, time period, he had this guy Pliny, and Pliny would go out and he would ask people, he would say, are you a Christian? If they said yes, he would say, are you a Christian? If they said yes, are you a Christian? If they said yes, three times they would be executed. No questions asked. These people had deep, deep conviction. And this is what Josephus, this first century historian, says about Jesus. Not a Christian secular writer during the time of the disciples he says this now there was about this time Jesus a wise man if it be lawful to call him man for he was a doer of wonderful works a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure he drew over to himself many Jews also many Greeks this man was the Christ Massive statement for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. And when Pilate condemned him to the cross upon his impeachment by principal man among us, those who had loved him from the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them, listen, he appeared to them alive on the third day, 
The divine prophets have spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now, the race of Christians so named from him have not died out. Here is a man who is not a Christian, a secular writing, appointed by the Roman emperor to write the history of Rome. And he is saying, listen, there is testimony that Jesus raised from the dead. And we don't know what to do with that. You guys, listen, you got to understand, a major shift in all of history happened at this time. The day of worship had always been Friday sundown to Saturday at sundown for thousands of years. Something so drastic in history happened that literally the day of worship changed from there to Sunday. The day that we believe, the day that the Bible tells us Jesus raised from the dead. Such historical impact happened here that, these, that all these people would lay down their lives for this cause. But listen, not only that, we still celebrate it today. And you know that there's something special about it because the next week you're not in school because of the holiday of Easter which is in, in, reinstated because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you turn on the Discovery Channel and the History Channel, they have documentaries and all this stuff about the resurrection of Jesus on right now. These are not Christian stations. These are secular stations. If you look at all of the the hoopla and the celebration and all the things that are going on, listen, something happened that changed the trajectory of all of history. A student at the University of Uruguay asked Josh McDowell, who was a staunch atheist, did not believe in God, set out to disprove Christianity, and in the process of trying to disprove Christianity, became a Christian because of the resurrection of Jesus. And the student asked him, why can you not refute Christianity? He answered, for the very simple reason, I am not able to explain away an event in history, the resurrection of Jesus. Professor Thomas Arnold, a 14-year headmaster of rugby, author of the famous book, History of Rome, and appointed to the chair of modern history, listen, at Oxford University, this dude's brilliant, was well acquainted with the value of evidence in determining historical fact. This great scholar said, I have been used for many years to study histories in other times. And to examine the weight of evidence of those who have written about them. And I know, listen, I know in the history of mankind, which is proven by better or fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of the fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose from the dead. Brookfoss Westcott, an English scholar, said this, Raking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus. So let's talk about the evidence. There is tons of stuff, and I could talk to you guys for the next four hours about this stuff. I'm going to spare you. You can ask me questions later if you want to. I'm going to give you guys six. Six. Six keys to talk about through the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to try in here to give you a little bit of an apologetic or a defense on, fumble, uh, a defense on um, some of the, some of the, uh, the, the uh, 
some of the common questions that, that people ask and talk about through this. And so pay attention. And the first, the first point I want to make is this. Jesus died. Jesus died. There are some people out there, a very small number of people, they believe in this theory called the swoon theory. And what the swoon theory suggests is, well, Jesus was like kind of drugged, and then he was put on the cross, and then he was, some, he was able to fake his death, and so he faked his death, and then what they did was is that they took him down, they put him in this tomb, and then a couple days later they came and they stole him out of the tomb. The swoon theory. Well, let's do a recap real quick. Remember last week we talked about all the stuff that Jesus went through? Let's do a recap. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane at hemotidrosis, which is a condition in which he sweated blood under intense anxiety. At this point, I mean, it would have caused intense fatigue. He was then hauled off as he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane to Caiaphas' house, where he was sped on, beaten for the entire night. Early in the morning, he was taken to Pilate. Pilate had Jesus flogged, and we talked about the flogging where they would take the, the cat of nine tails or they would take the fiagrum the, that leather straps and metal and bone tips on it and would whip Jesus with it and ripped his flesh open and, and then we talked about how they, he had to carry the cross beam of his cross almost a half a mile after being beaten senseless he had the crown of thorns on his head which would have caused trigeminal neuralgia which many people commit suicide for having that condition that's how intense the pain would have been he was then at the place of crucifixion where they nailed his hands to the cross where the nail would have severed the medial nerve in the hands and most people in those situations morphine cannot stop the pain of a severed medial nerve this is an intense situation they, they nail his feet into the cross and then he hangs there on the cross to die a slow death but we know that he was beaten and he was in such a condition that by the time he got to the cross he was almost dead himself and he lived for six hours before he died on the cross and the Bible records and tells us that the, the high priest did not want the people, the thieves or Jesus, to remain on the cross until the Sabbath. It's Friday. So they ordered for them to break the legs of them on the cross to increase the time it would take them to die. The Bible says that when the exactor mortis, the person who would be responsible for carrying out crucifixion, who had probably carried out on this hill alone thousands of crucifixions himself for his entire life, this guy was an expert in knowing when someone was dead, comes to Jesus and said, this man is dead. This man's dead. But just to be sure, the Bible tells us that they took a spear and they stuck it in the side of Jesus, which... Uh, um, the, Luke tells us, and the Gospel of Luke records this because Luke's occupation was a doctor. And Luke talks a lot about the, the medical conditions of Jesus because he's a doctor and, of course, his mind goes there. When they punctured his side, the Bible tells us that blood and water poured out of his side. Now, most, most uh, medical experts believe that they, that they punctured the pericardial sac, the a water sac that surrounds your heart, that, that protects you from blows to your chest and things like that. And, and this is what came out. Listen. Of no response from Jesus. Most scholars and most medical uh, people believe that that alone would have killed Jesus if he had still been alive. Jesus was dead. In fact, if he wasn't dead, every time his heart beat, blood would have spurted from that spot. The Bible doesn't record that. He was dead. Then they took him down off the cross. 
And we can pick up the story here. I'm going to read you a little bit of this. We can pick up the story here in, uh, in uh, John <clears throat> chapter 19. Let me read this to you in verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because, he, because of his fear of the Jews, he didn't want to be crucified either, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about, listen, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Then they took Jesus and they wrapped his body in linen with an aromatic spices according to the burial customs of the Jews. This was in the garden place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden and uh, no one else had been placed there. They placed Jesus in the tomb. Listen, this is important. Listen. We talked about last week the average man during this time weighed around 110 to 120 pounds. That's about the weight of Jesus. During this time, the only person that would be placed in a tomb would be a rich person. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He had this tomb for his family, but he loved Jesus because he had, his life had been impacted by Jesus. And so he goes, he takes the body of Jesus from Pilate, and him and Nicodemus, they wrap Jesus' body, listen, with uh, foot-wide pieces of linen, and they would, have the, they would make the, the herbs and the spices into this goo that would stick the linen to his body, and literally 75 pounds of spices were placed on Jesus to keep the smell and from death, from coming out. Now we know what Jesus has been through already. Then he's laid in a tomb, wrapped up like a, money with, like a mummy with 75 pounds on him. He just walked out? No. Jesus died. Secondly, well, yeah, he died, but he could have been stolen, right? Like somebody could have stolen him. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 27. If you got your Bibles, just flip back to the left if you were just there in John. Matthew chapter 27. This is awesome. And we're going to go to verse 62. <clears throat> Towards the end of Matthew 27. I want you to listen to this. Look what he says. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remembered that while this deceiver, talking about Jesus, was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore, give orders to the tomb to, uh, to secure it until the third day. Otherwise, the disciples may come and steal him and tell the, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. These people were, they, the, the, the high priests, they were concerned that the disciples were going to come and steal him too. And look. Pilate tells them, you have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it secure and know them. And listen, and they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing it, sealing the stone and setting the guard. They put the Roman seal on it and they put the stone in place. Did the disciples steal Jesus? Listen, most scholars believe that the stone that was put in place, and we see record of this a couple hundred years later in some of the historical documents, that literally the stone would have taken close to 20 men to move. And so there's a, a, a large stone that is in place that is covering the whole entrance to where the tomb would have been. Then, not only that, but they put the Roman seal around this tomb. Now the Roman seal would, they would take a cord, a rope, and they would put it around and they would put it in place with, with clay. And then the 
Pilate would have given his signet ring and they would have put wax on there and put the, the Roman seal on the tomb. To break the Roman seal was illegal and if you did it, the punishment was death. So if anyone decided that they wanted to go steal the body of Jesus and break the Roman seal, the punishment was automatic death, period. And Pilate ordered that the Roman seal be put there. Not only that, but he ordered that a Roman guard go on patrol. The Roman guard would have been four men. These men would have carried three, two weapons and a shield. They would have carried a shield, they would have carried a Roman pike or a Roman spear, and they would have carried a Roman sword. These men were trained fighters, trained from when they were young. In order to be in this unit, they were trained in such a way where they could fight off many, many, many times the amount of their forces. The four of them could fend off hundreds because people couldn't get in close enough to them. They could work themselves in a way. I mean, these guys were tough. They could kick anybody's butt. Nobody was going to mess with them. Remember, the disciples are fishermen. Tax collectors or an accountant? Who's scared of an accountant? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm only scared I'm going to have to pay my taxes. But anyways, and, uh, I mean, these are the kind of people that were following Jesus. These guys were not going to attack a Roman guard. And even if they attacked the Roman guard and overtook the Roman guard, they would have had to move this massive stone and know that the punishment would have been death if they broke the Roman seal. Did the disciples steal Jesus? No, listen, not only that, there were 18 offenses that were punishable by death for a Roman guard soldier. One of them was to, one, let me read them, wrote them down. One of them was to leave a post or failing a post duty. These guys were given the post to guard this tomb. If they had failed that post, the consequence was immediate execution. Immediate. Let me tell you something. The disciples did not steal the body of Jesus. The Bible records they were cowards. They were scared to death. The Bible records in Mark chapter 14 that they fled. They were scared. Not only did they flee, only one of them was even at the crucifixion, and that was John because the other ones were scared to death. Peter's kind of creeping off in a distance right before this, right before Jesus is, is taken off the pilot, and, and he denies Jesus three times. Why did he deny Jesus? Because he didn't want people to know that he was associated with Jesus because he didn't want to be crucified either. These people were scared to death. They were afraid for their lives. The disciples didn't take Jesus. You say, what about the Jews? Well, the Roman guard would have defended against anyone that came to try to take him away. What about the Romans? Remember, the Romans hated Christianity. They killed three million of them in the first 300 years. Listen, nothing would have stopped the spread of Christianity faster for the Romans or the Jews than to present the body of Jesus. Hey, ha, we played a funny prank on you Christians. Ha, 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 right here's his body. The Romans or Jews stole Jesus, all they had to do was show the body of Jesus and Christianity would have ended in an instant, but they didn't because the body wasn't there. The body wasn't there. Did anybody steal Jesus? No, no one stole Jesus. The third piece of evidence is the response of the disciples. And remember, and I mentioned this a second ago, these disciples are devastated. They've just watched the person that they've followed for the last three years. The Bible tells us, Peter even responds, he says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. They left their jobs, they left their homes, they left their parents, they left everything. They've followed this man for three years. I mean, and they're devastated. Man, we put our trust in this guy, and now he's dead. Now for what? What are we going to do? 
I mean, they are freaking out in the Bible. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in their head? They're like, man, did, didn't we see him, like, calm the storm? I mean, we, didn't we see him, like, raise Lazarus from the dead? I mean, didn't we see him heal that blind man? Didn't we see him heal that paralyzed guy? I mean, didn't we see these things? I mean, am I just crazy here? But, like, didn't we see this kind of stuff happen? I mean, I can imagine these guys are freaking out right now. They're devastated. They fled. And not only that, but um, here stands 11 men who put all of their hope in a person who is now dead. But this, the disciples respond to what they saw. Listen, next thing you know, these guys that are running for the hills, that are scared for their lives, listen, all of a sudden are going around preaching Jesus, Jesus raised from the dead all over the place. In Acts chapter 4, this awesome story happens. Peter and John are arrested. And I mean, Jesus is raised from the dead. I mean, we're talking like a couple months before this. And these guys are standing before these, these, the Sanhedrin. And these guys are grilling. They're like, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they, they said this. They said, we cannot help but to preach about what we've seen and heard. We cannot help but to preach about what we've seen or heard. And this was legit. Let me tell you guys something. Every one of the disciples, except for the Apostle John, every one of the disciples were murdered because they believed Jesus was raised from the dead. Listen, nobody would die for a lie and know that it was a lie. Would you die for a lie? I'm not dying for a lie. I mean, I'll make up a lie all day long, but the moment somebody puts a gun to my head and says, all right, say that again, and you're dead, I'm, like, I'm just playing, bro. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's go. We good, man. We good. Yeah, chest bump. Come on. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, you know, that's, that's ball game. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not even going there, you know? And uh, these guys sealed the testimony that Jesus raised from the dead with their life. And I'm not talking, I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about them dying in, like, easy ways. Some were beheaded by swords. Some were crucified. Some were boiled in oil. I mean, they were killed in intense ways. In fact, history tells us the death of Peter. Listen to this. Peter was forced to watch his wife be crucified in front of him. All he had to do to get his wife off the cross was to say, we're just playing. We're just kidding, guys. It's a joke. And then he was crucified. And listen, this is what he said. History records that he says, may I be crucified upside down for I'm not, to be fit, I'm not fit to be crucified like my Lord. Let me tell you something. These guys saw something. They saw something that changed their lives. Man, I got chills thinking about it. No man dies for a lie. And then there's the Saul factor. Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul, was a man, uh, Saul of Tarsus. He was a, he was a, he was a high, uh, high-ranking Jewish Pharisee. Uh, he, was, he went around uh, right after the beginning of Christianity, killing Christians. Listen, this guy went around wiping out Christians. He was there setting an approval in, in Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 6, at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. We see him sitting there in agreement, uh, just egging him on, pushing him on. Yeah, kill him. And then Saul had began throwing people in prison. He, uh, the Bible says in Acts, it says he wreaked havoc on the church. 
He was throwing people in prison, men, women, anyone who would proclaim faith in Jesus. He was murdering people. And listen, he goes then to the priest, high priest, and he says, hey, I want to spread this persecution to this place, Damascus. If you know, I wish I had the whiteboard and I'd show you a map. But Damascus is north of Israel. It's in the modern-day country of Syria now. And, uh, And so he begins on this journey to Damascus to spread this persecution. And on his way, listen, Jesus shows up on the road and goes, Boom! The Bible tells us, hits him with a bright light. Dude can't see. He's blinded by it. Guy's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And, he, and Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He's like, man, this is crazy. So I want you to go into the town. I want you to find this guy named Ananias. And the guy goes to Ananias, and Jesus goes to Ananias. He says, listen, Paul's going to come to you. And you can imagine Ananias is freaking out. He's like, dude, I don't, want him. I don't want that dude. That dude's been killing people. He's coming here. He wants to kill me, all this kind of stuff. And the Bible tells us that Paul gave his life to Jesus. Saul gave his life to Jesus. He changed his name to Paul because he had a new identity in Christ. Let me tell you something. Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. Paul evangelized the known world of his day spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ on three missionary journeys that he went on. Paul, in most people's speculation, is the greatest Christian that has ever lived, period. How does a guy go from complete, complete, complete hate, disgust, of Christianity, wanting to destroy it, wipe it off the face of the map, and the Bible records had an encounter with Jesus, and he becomes the greatest Christian to ever live. Let me tell you something. When people tell me, dude, I got a friend that don't know Jesus, man, that dude's never going to give his life to Christ. You know how many times I've had people tell me, that dude, that girl will never give their life to Jesus. I've been told that so many times, I don't even, I don't even know how to count. And you know how many times those people come to Jesus all the time, all the time. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, when he's writing to young Timothy, he says, he says, I was the chief of all sinners. If there was a list of sinners from, from greatest to least, I was at the top of the list. Let me tell you something. I was the chief of all sinners. How many of you guys went around killing a bunch of Christians last week? You're not as bad as Paul was. Look how God used Paul. Paul God used Paul in, a, in an amazing way. But Paul's seen Jesus in his resurrection. Talking about Paul and the disciples, Michael Green says this. He was the principal of St. John's College. He says this, you can imprison them, flog them, kill them, but you could not make them deny their convictions that on the third day Jesus rose again. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Harvard professor. Dr. Simon Greenleaf is not only a Harvard professor, he, was the, he is considered one of the greatest minds in the world in all of history. He wrote the book of law at the end of the 1800s that is still used today in law schools today. There is no work of law that has ever been written in the entire history of the world that comes anywhere close to Simon Greenleaf's work. And Simon Greenleaf, who was a staunch atheist, a Harvard law professor, went out to disprove Christianity. And when he got finished trying to disprove the resurrection, he became a Christian and wrote a book about it and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty amazing. He says this, it was impossible. Listen, it was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths that they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually risen from the dead. The fifth, the fifth. 
Some say, oh, well, they made up this story. They made up all this kind of stuff. Listen, if they made up the story, these, these letters were circulating around so much during the time of the first century and second century. You would have tons of other people going, man, these people are lying. These people are crazy, all this kind of stuff. And no one is saying that. No one is disproved. There's not one single piece of literature from the first century that says anywhere that Jesus did not raise from the dead. None. Zero. Yet we have tons that say that he did. No one is going, these people are liars. These people are crazy. Because they're not liars. And if you were going to fabricate a story, you would try to make your case as strong as you could possibly make it. The Bible tells us that the first two people to go to the tomb and realize that Jesus was, that the tomb was rolled away and that Jesus was gone, that the stone was rolled away and that Jesus was gone, was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus. During this time, women were not considered at the same level as men. During this time, women were even looked at almost to the level of a slave. If the disciples were going to fabricate a story and make up a story in their head about Jesus raising from the dead, they certainly would not have chosen to put a woman as the one to find the tomb empty. So why did they put Mary and Mary Magdalene? Because they wanted to tell the truth. They wanted to tell the truth. And historical scholars throughout history will tell you, atheist, Christian, agnostic, you go down the line that the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, you go through the entire New Testament, every single letter, every single book that has been pieced together in the Old Testament has so much historical background and evidence for it that it just cannot be disproven, period. And I believe it's because God protects his word. And the Bible tells us that for all scriptures, God breathed. In other words, this wasn't out of the mind of a man. This was out of God. And the Bible tells us, Peter tells us, he says, the, the, this, the, the prophets, the, the, the word of God, the scriptures were not put together by the mind of man, but prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That God spoke through them. God used men to write down what he told them to write down. And this is the word of God. That's why we call the Bible the word of God. The sixth evidence is the James factor. I also would even throw in Mary, his mother. James was the brother of Jesus. James did not believe in Jesus. In fact, James did not follow Jesus. Had no interest in following Jesus, period. None. Let me ask you guys a question. What in the world would cause you to worship your brother or your sister? I mean, if your brother or sister came, if my brother came to me, he's like, Derek, man, bow down and worship me, I'd punch him in the nose. You know what I'm saying? I'd like, yeah, worship that, bro. You know what I mean? And then he would kick my butt because he's stronger than me. But, I mean, what in the world would cause you to worship your brother? This is what we know about James. James, the brother of Jesus, is the James who wrote the book of James in the New Testament. James, the, the brother of Jesus, ended up giving his life to Christ 
shortly after, which when you read in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to James. He gives his life to Jesus. He surrenders his life to Christ. He puts his faith in Jesus. And listen, he became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem during the first century. Listen, preaching his brother. You can convince a lot of people of things, but you're never going to convince your brother that you are God, period. Unless you're God. History records how the brother of Jesus, James, died. He was taken to the highest point of the temple. Some scholars have even suggested it's the same point that Satan took Jesus up to in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted and, and Satan said, throw yourself down and he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up and you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says back to Satan, do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Some scholars suggest it was to the same point. They took him to the highest point of the temple. Some scholars believe it's a, in history records it's about a 150 foot drop from the top to the bottom. They took James, the brother of Jesus, and they said, deny Jesus. Deny that he raised from the dead. And if you don't, we're going to throw you off. And he didn't. They threw, Jesus, they, th they threw his brother James off the pinnacle of the temple 150 feet. He hit the ground. He did not die immediately. He was laying there suffering on the ground. These men then climbed down to the bottom and with clubs beat him to death. That was the fate of the brother of Jesus. Let me tell you something. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, James, the brother of Jesus, would not have died like that. No one is going to die for a lie. I mean, there are probably about 20 more things that I can walk through with you guys, but that is just six that I'm going to throw out there to you right away. Here are six evidences that are unprovable. Un you, you can't stand against those evidences that Jesus Christ did, in fact, raise from the dead. So the evidence is clear. What did his resurrection accomplish? And I'm going to close out with this. What did his resurrection accomplish? His re resurrection, in a nutshell, accomplished what I believe two things. Salvation and power. The resurrection of Jesus, Jesus raising from the dead, he defeated sin and death. He defeated the grip of sin and death. When Jesus died on the cross, I mean, you can imagine Satan and the demons and everyone, I mean, they're cheering, they're excited, they're high-fiving each other. Jesus is dead. And then three days later, he raises to life in victory, defeating sin and death. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, there is no salvation. There is no there is no power against sin and death. And listen, secondly, that resurrection power, the Bible tells us, is in you if you're a follower of Christ. Look what Ephesians 1.19 says this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Listen to what he says. That power, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Listen, he says that power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that resides in every single person who believes. 
You know what's amazing, man? This is so amazing to me, man. I see so many Christians that are, are so defeated in their life, and they believe that the only reason Jesus died on the cross for their sins was to forgive them of their sins. That is a part of it. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, but Jesus also died on the cross to give you power to overcome sin. Let me say that again. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, but he also died on the cross to give you power over sin. I got Christians living defeated lives, and you know, I talk to students all the time, and they're saying to me, oh, Derek, man, I'm just really struggling with this thing, man. I really just can't break free from this thing, and you know, I'm oh, in this thing. I just can't, you know what I mean? I just don't have the power to do it, and this is my response. You're right, you don't. You don't have the power to break free. The Holy Spirit, God's power, lives in you, and God can give you the strength to overcome. I'm talking with a guy a couple weeks ago. He's been kicked out of four or five schools, tried to commit suicide four times. It's heroin, smokes meth. I met with him for three times. Two weeks ago, he prayed to receive Christ. It's awesome. This is what I told him. Every time I would meet with him, he'd be like, Derek, man, I just I can't break free, man. I can't break free from this sin. I can't break free from this depression. I can't break free from this. And this is what I told him. You're right, you can't, and you never will until you put your faith in Jesus because Jesus will give you the power to break free of things that you don't have the power on your own to break free from. And you know what he said? He calls me, says, Derek, I just prayed to receive Christ, and God has taken it all away. All the way. When I was a senior in high school, drinking, smoking out, doing stupid stuff, how could I ever stop this? When I gave my life to Jesus, he helped me overcome. The resurrection power of Jesus lives inside of me. Some of you are walking around and you just live defeated lives. And you're like, man, I just, I keep, I keep falling in this thing. I keep falling in this thing. And you start getting guilty and you're, you're, guilt, you're so wrapped up in guilt. You're paralyzed. Let me tell you what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us because of the resurrection of Jesus in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore, listen, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you here feel condemnation in your life. You know what I'm talking about? The Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have the power of God living inside of you if you are a Christian and a believer. And look, I, I'm just going to say it. There's some of you in here tonight, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. When you sing that song at the beginning that talks about, and I surrender all of me, everything, you're like, you don't even, I mean, you, 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 that's not you. You, don't, you know what I'm talking about. And let me tell you something. You're struggling with, with so, all kinds of junk going on in your life. And you, you, know, you're, you can't break free from all these sins. You can't break free from depression. You can't break free from all this stuff going on in your life. And look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Put me to the test. Don't give your life to Jesus in five years from now, let me know if it's gotten any better, because I'm telling you, it won't. It won't. You will never get victory over sin, depression, issues in your life unless you have the power of God living inside of you, giving you the strength to overcome. That is the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is that we can be saved, and the power of the resurrection is, is that you have now that power within you as a believer and a follower of Christ. Father, we thank you so much for tonight.
We thank you, Lord, for these students. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us. We thank you, God, for the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus that we say sometimes, man, this is blind faith. And, and man, I just, I, I just don't even know if I can even think logically about this whole faith thing. And, God, you just show us over and over and over and over and over again. As your word tells us, if we seek you, we will find you if, you seek, if we seek you with all of our hearts. And, God, as we seek you, we see evidences over and over again. You have shown us in your word. You've shown us through history. You've shown us your truth. And God, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We lift your name up in the holy, precious, amazing name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.